When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to Heart and Hand, the Rangers podcast. The podcast that this week, in an attempt to avoid too much swearing, will speak only in the language of an 18th century English gentleman diarist. This week on Heart and Hand... Whilst one may well express puzzlement at the vicissitudes of erstwhile sporting competition, one should always keep to the forefront of one's thought the explicit circumstances and what the fuck was that fucking fuckery this week? Welcome to Heart and Hand, the Rangers podcast. My name's David Edgar, I am your host and this week we're going to try and do something that we think the manager should be doing and that's freshen the side up a little bit and uh, get people with alternative skills to, to come in because you've heard me and Scott rant often enough about it and let's face it, you're going to hear me and Scott rant about it a lot more before the end of the season if things keep up the way that they're going. So, Joining us this week will be Mr Cameron James Bell Always nice to, to bring Cammy in to, to add his silky skills to, to the wing play, if you like, of the pod And uh, making his season debut is Ian Hogg Who uh, a lot of you will know through Twitter And uh, Hoggy is always someone with an interesting And uh, probably even swearier than my uh, approach to all things Rangers So we'll get that done for you And uh, then I'll talk to you again at the end Joining me now is a regular podder, but not been on for a while, so it's good to have him back. It's Ian Hogg. Hello. Good evening. Um, right, Hoggy, let's just get cut to the chase. Tyne Castle, Wednesday night. I must admit that despite knowing uh, you know, our away record, for some reason I had convinced myself... I, do you know, I hadn't even thought of it going in. Um, I had just assumed that we had sort of turned a corner in terms of Certainly results, maybe not performance, but it was a shambles. You know, I was probably the same. We're all football fans. We all do the, you know, uh, down in the gutter type routine. And then the day of the game, we're right up for it. At the end of the day, this this was Cathro's harps. They've been crap. And he's rebuilt a team basically with freebies over the, over the course of a fortnight. Yeah. Nine, nine signings? Aye. Nine signings, 175 grand in total. I'm going into the game thinking, what could possibly go wrong? And it all did. Well, here's the thing for me. 
I think that one of Rangers' biggest problems is slow starts. Um, and it happens at home as well. It happened at home on Saturday, which we'll come to uh, against Ross County. But it, it happens quite frequently that we take about 10, 15 minutes to feel our way into a match. Now, for any Rangers side at Tynecastle, Pataudry, Parkhead, uh, when they come back up Tanadives and Easter Road, you just simply can't do that because the crowd are going at you know full pelt. Tynecastle, the crowd are right on you. And no matter how poor the opposition are or what their run of form is, for that opening 10 minutes, they're going to fight you. And we just never seem able to cope with that. A lot of this goes back to... I and for for those for, for those of you that A know me or B know me online, uh, and and Dave, you obviously do. I've been I've been more than vocal about this over the past four or five days to the point of you know I had been considering giving up drink, but I'm quite glad that I didn't. Um, you know, I, I I'm I'm actually starting to take offence, and I know that sounds a bit dramatic or overly dramatic. I'm actually starting to take offence that Mark Warburton actually seems through his inflexible uh, approach to playing football, it's his way or no way, I actually feel as if it's starting to patronise our intelligence as a support. You know, we, we as you say, we come out the block slowly, we get run over the top, we make mistakes, we've got no spine to the team, there's no leadership in the park. And I think probably two things stand out for me. Despite, you know, I can I can forgive mistakes. And let's face it, on Wednesday night there were plenty. But you can forgive mistakes. The team visibly chucked it on the park. Yeah, they did. To the point it was it was just embarrassing to watch. You know, we made those nine new signings, I think they they all played at some point. We made hearts with a team full of freebies and frankly Don fucking Cowie in the middle of the park yeah. looked like Real Madrid. Yeah, no, he looked like Redondo in there. I I think as well that I agree with you. I can forgive mistakes. What I find difficult to what I find difficult to forgive is the same mistake time after time after time. And that the first goal, Kiernan, it, it just, we've seen that goal so often, and it should be easily preventable it's certainly easily preventable when we do it and another mistake is the amount of times we get a fullback or one of our white men to the byline and then the cutback never finds an oncoming Rangers player that after a while it's it, it, it goes beyond just errors and, and goes into what are we drilling what are we doing is it, a, is it ability is it just ability and if so then you know why are we persisting with these guys the other thing is is I do understand that there's no budget and you know that we don't have the money we used to have and all that kind of thing but Hearts brought in nine players right some of them I'm sure will be good some of them will be bad and I'm not saying we should just go out and sign players for the sake of it but we've managed to get in two loans and a reserve keeper that is really poor and if the, the budget isn't there for slightly more than that we're misspending the budget don't disagree with that at all. Brings me on to, you know, I, I'd uh, jotted down a few notes this morning and, and frankly ended up just becoming ranting bullet points. Mm. One of them was about, we've signed a kid on loan from Bournemouth in Hindman. Mm. 
he was the best player in the park mm. across both sides. He was the best player in the park, and on sixty minutes he gets whipped off. And I go back to patronising the support, patronising the support's intelligence. The post-match interview, Warburton banged on about having to protect Bournemouth's asset. Yeah. Now I'm really sorry, but. Protecting Bournemouth's asset to the extent that he's trading on Rangers' ability to actually gain points. No, there's proof. The manager's either lost it or he simply doesn't understand that we're fucking Rangers. I think that the for an intelligent guy, even if that was true, see if that is the reason, and even if that is true, he shouldn't have said it and he should have been bright enough to know how it would be received. And then we're starting to get into McCoy's territory of... Making it worse when you open your mouth, and when that happens, it's very, very hard to bring the support back. He should have said he was tired. You know, he's, he's hasn't played a lot of football at Bournemouth, and then he's come. He should have just came out with something. He felt a slight pull. Anything to say that, as you say, because that substitution was crazy at a time when we were still kind of in the game, hopefully. But um, well, who am I kidding? That second half, if anything, it could have been seven or eight. And I think. That that really was the... It was almost like the white flag's going up and it's, the game's over. And unfortunately, you just can't do that with us. But you, the fans just don't allow it. We then have the usual platitudes from the players. I'm not skipping over the Hearts game because it's impossible to overstate how utterly poor we were. And for probably the, the fifth or sixth time this season, we chucked it when it got really difficult. And... That's unforgettable. And people have said to me, well, what about the late wins? We've had late wins at certain grounds. Yeah, yeah, we have, against, with all due respect, the pish teams. In the bigger matches when we've faced adversity, or away from home when we've faced stubbornness, uh, in the case of Ross County uh, and certain other away performances, we've just gone, ah, well, not our day. St Johnston's another one of those where it's a lesser side that you're not getting run over the top the way we were at, say, Parkhead or Tynecastle. In fact, the only away match against a decent side that I can think of where they kept going and I'd say, yeah, genuinely unlucky was Pataudry. And the rest of them, I would say that far too often they accepted their fate. Accepted it and were run over the top of. And Tynecastle was that. Tynecastle, the players chucked it. Mm. For me, the manager chucked it. I think that substitution was a sign. I think the substitution was this game's gone, let's... Let's bring some, you know. Let's save them for Saturday, which is eminently pragmatic. But mm, we're Rangers. Aye, not 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 when you're, not when you're four one down against basically a team of freebies essentially <laughs> assembled in ten days. Yeah, and how could they look fitter than us? I mean, come on. It, it beggars belief. It you does. know, it, it, it absolutely beggars belief. You know my opinion on it. Uh, my my opinion is. Um, I think the managers, you know, it, it, it strikes me it's almost Paul Le Guin syndrome now. How's um, it's almost Wednesday night, and I'll go, we'll come on to the Ross County game, but Wednesday night was like the Tony Mowbray moment mm. for Mark Warburton. You know, it, it almost feels as if there's no going back. I, I want the guy to be a success. Because if he's a success, we're a success. Who doesn't want that? No, absolutely. You know, and he, he's he's brought a new style of football that worked for the first four months. Yeah. Since the turn of last year, 
it's uh, you know into 2016. It's maybe worked a couple of times, Dundee and Celtic in the cup. Mm. The rest of the time, it's largely been turgid shit. I think that was where I found some of the defenders, and and he does have defender. It's good. There's nothing wrong with that, and it's fine. And listen. I would much rather be having this debate as we are chasing second, even chasing second, than having some of the debates we've had over the last four years. So let's, you know, let's uh, be sure that this, this is a happier one than many others that we've been in. Uh, just so, sounds it, sounds it, but, but, but you're right, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's sore, but compared to where we have been. But um, some of these defenders have said things uh, along the lines of, well, you know, He's trying to play good attacking football. Yeah, but we don't. We don't. We don't score goals. Thirty-two goals in twenty-four matches. We league matches. We don't score goals. And the other thing was, well, the results got better in December. Well, yeah, if you ignore um, St. Johnson and Celtic. And then the other one I heard was, um, you know, following on from that, was well, are we supposed to just ignore all the good performances? And that is where I had to stop. And I said no. We can talk about the good results. We cannot talk about good performances because the only good performances have come was the first 30 minutes against Celtic, the first 30 minutes against St Johnston, a match earlier in the season versus Kilmarnock, maybe I would say the second half against Hamilton away and the the second half against Motherwell, uh, the, the, the league game, not the cup game. And that is it for a season. So don't tell me about improving performances. The performances are not improving. The results were getting better, and that that is good. But then you can only coast by so long if your performances are at the level their performances have been. And again, so we come out of a hugely disappointing result. We get the usual sound bites from the players, and we get the usual sound bites from your manager. And we'll come back to the Mowbray thing because I think that's a key point. And we go into the match against Ross County. Now, it's flat at Ibrox. And I understand that. And if they don't, then that's... And I know we'll have our people out there saying, well, you know, the, the fans have got to play their part. Let's be realistic. We all know how it works by now, right? Let's let's deal with the real politic of the situation. The fans were going to be sitting there expecting a reaction and wanting the team to bring them into it. Should have been a goal down within two minutes. Started to play a little bit better, but then concede a goal. And then afterwards, it's just... You know, and it it was one of those days in terms of not being able to score. And had that been a one off, you would say just one of those days we couldn't score. But it's not a one off. It happens frequently. And for the manager to then say after the match, on another day we win that comfortably. We've won one match comfortably this season against Kilmarnock. So when is that other day, Mark? When's it coming? That's probably the point last night when I reached for the bottle. Um, and you know that can generally go hideously wrong, as we all know. Mm. Um, I agree. We start. I, I I expected us to come flying out the traps yesterday. Yeah. Because we bloody well should have. We started slowly. We could and should have been behind before we actually were. We could and should have been another goal behind with the now. It's like the, the weekly disaster zone of Wes Fodderingham trying to play out from the back and giving the ball away. Hmm. Yesterday's was even more farcical than Wednesday night's goal for Harps. But then I wouldn't blame... See, I don't really blame Fodderingham for that. I think he plays out from the back the way he's because instructed he's been, to. Because I, he's been told. But I think he does it reasonably well. With it. you know, He did make a mistake on Saturday, which we did get away with, thankfully. But um, if you look at the one that Halliday concedes... 
Um, that that's not down to Wes. What the problem is is Wes is playing the ball out to people who can't do that. So we are continually getting ourselves in bother, and it's not as if we're not you know teams are not able to put us in bother anyway. But we continually get ourselves in bother by we tell our goalkeeper we want you to pass it to you know the whole midfielder or when the defenders go wide that's what you have to do you have to pass it out to them and we don't bother from that we we straight away invite pressure now when we did get those better results Aberdeen and Hearts at home uh, spring to mind it was because we mixed it up and that meant that the teams couldn't just sit on us and press us but when we've stopped mixing it up uh, in terms of occasionally going long teams now Again, remember, oh, we'll just sit on them at the edge of the box. We'll give it away every so often. And that is exactly what happened. We then had one of the most baffling things I have ever seen, which was a Rangers defence containing Philip Senderos and Clint Hill at centre-half tried to play a high line. <laughs> now, how can you even consider doing that when you don't have any pace at the back? I think so. I, I, I played all my days... As a defender, I was never fast. But you always dropped off to compensate. Yeah. And two things struck struck me yesterday. One, we were playing a high line. And shocker, we got caught out time and time again, especially in the first half. Second thing was Philip Senderos. God love him. He's, he's, he's like, he looks a bit like the missing link, right? <laughs> Um, he's he's Gravison-esque, I'll, I'll give you that I, I mean, it, 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 he got the ball at one point in the second, the second half And I'm just like, just pass it mm. Just pass it square No, just pass it Please, going to just pass it square And he decided to almost do a Cruyff-like turn It was like a tanker mm. turning You know, and it's Guys, actually, you're paid to defend You're paid to do your job and it was just, it, it was borderline embarrassing to watch. Now, I get it. The guy's been on the sidelines for, what, four months or something like that mm-hmm. after, after the debacle at Parkhead. Um, and I get also that something had to change from Wednesday night. But let's face it, Philip Senderoff doing Cruyff turns wasn't it. Well, that's that leads me into to an interesting point, I think, is that yesterday there was, you know, wholesale changes to a team. Philip Senderos coming in from, you know, Siberia. Uh, Andy Halliday dropped. I don't think anyone would argue with that, although you could argue that having Heinemann, who is clearly our best attacking midfielder uh, and goal threat, having him at defensive midfield, was a little, although he was fine, was a bit of a waste. But anyway, there were lots of changes to the side. And in the last month, we've seen guys come in from, from nowhere like O'Halloran. You know, was was suddenly recalled back into the side. Hodson's come in and out. The centre defence has changed. Midfield has changed. You know, Windass etc. Have all come in. We saw Crooks earlier in the season was chucked in for a, a game. It strikes me is that the manager has now tried just about every conceivable permutation of, of players in that system to try and make it work, and it still doesn't work. Now, at the risk of sounding thicker than 400 tonnes of whale blubber, maybe it's not the players, maybe none of them in any permutation can play that system. 
So maybe you should change the system. And people telling me, and I, I gave this some credence earlier in the scene, you know, oh, he's tweaked it and he's changed a little bit. And oh, okay, it's still essentially the same. It's still the four three three. Essentially, it doesn't uh, work. Yeah, yeah. Don't, don't disagree with any of that. For me, I think he's changed the system for about two and a half games. Aberdeen at home, Hearts at home, Celtic at home. Uh. Aberdeen, for the most part, we ran over the top of them. Hearts at home, for the entire game, we ran over the top of them. It was like it was like sliding doors version of Rangers against Harps mm. that day and Celtic for about the first 30 minutes or so until Joe Gardner went off we were far and away the better side then Gardner went off and and we kind of went back to tippy-tappy passing football attempting to be Barcelona with you know with all due respect to them fucking awkward like Talbot players mm. you know that I, I wholly agree if you've got the players and the budget and the patience, then absolutely try and be like Barcelona. But I'm afraid it's just not working. No, and it's this refusal to change, I think, that, that makes the fans more frustrated. The other thing I hear in the media, actually, quite often, is people say, well, it's, it's, it's not about the system. You know, it's about players and you need good players. It's not about the system. But then on the other hand, I hear people say, well, Conte, since he came to Chelsea and changed the system, you know, his genius move was, was recognising that it didn't work. So, it's got to be one or the other. And Of course systems matter. I mean, I, I just think that's such a, a, a crazy thing to say. I just don't believe for a second anyone could could argue that with a straight face. Because we, we've seen so many changes and so many times during matches in our life, just as football fans, we, we've seen a manager make a couple of changes or change the, the layer or change his team today. I, you know, I saw Mourinho um, lined up with a 4-4-2, didn't work, changed it, and he suddenly ran over the top of Leicester. So I, I just don't buy it. And I think that we're getting ourselves into a position where we are really going to struggle to to achieve anything because I don't think the fans, well, I know the fans don't believe in what Orbiton's trying to do. You know, the majority still is his defenders, but I don't think the players do either. Yeah, I, I, and I think that the my real concern, as I said earlier, I want the guy to succeed because you know he succeeds, we succeed. That, that's that's just bloody obvious. But what I won't do is, you know, I had a fella on Twitter telling me last night and today, you know, that that we're not loyal enough, that we should be loyal to Mark Warburton. We're not being loyal to the manager, and and and, and fine, you know, if I respect the guy's opinion. Probably kind of, to be honest. But, you know, I find myself last night and this morning, as I'm sure you probably read, David, I found myself thinking, fucking really? Mm. As I say, want it to be a success. But it's plainly not working. He's not been successful. And we're limping from game to game like some kind of drunk shambles. Mm. You know, I, I guess... Um, I think for me it was summed up by yesterday's post-match interview, and I've got some quotes from it, that, you know, it's it's, it's that kind of Tony Mowbray-esque type thing. Mm, I think that's a key point. That's who it's reminded me, not so much Le it's reminded me of Mowbray, yeah. where it's I, a sort of, I'm going to play my system, and if it doesn't work, it's everything else's fault. It's got, I mean, Mowbray famously blamed the league 
for his football, you know, not working in it. And I, I think we're getting to that stage. I mean, yesterday we had, um, on another day, we win the game comfortably. Now, going by the stats, plus 50% possession, 22 shots in goal, only six were on target, incidentally, uh, 15 corners, etc., etc. Yeah, maybe on another day we do win the game comfortably. But did anyone feel at any point, even when it was 1-0, that a goal was coming? I didn't. My big concern was if it went to 2-0, we couldn't win. Because we can't score three goals, or we don't. Yep. We've done it once. We we just it's it's seemingly beyond us in the league. So any team that gets a goal against us knows they've got a good chance of getting a point. Any team that gets two knows they've got a very good chance of getting three. I think the other quote that really stood out, apart from you know the the, the sound bite stuff like goals change games, I really no when we uh, get them. The, the 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 other one that stood out was, I really hope the fans saw the positives. Mm. And I must admit, for me, there's 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 the gaffer's gone full Tony Mowbray. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that sometimes you've just you've jumped the shark, and I, I do. He's he's wearing the look of a man who is almost accepting of his fate, and we hear that relationships aren't great between him and the chairman. Now I know people will. We'll shoot the messenger in terms of the sources for this because I know it's been sort of in the Daily Record. I can understand that, and but people can choose to believe me, can choose not. You know, I you know have a reasonable pipeline in there, and the relationship isn't great. It's it's just it's simply a fact. The relationship isn't great. The board are not happy with his performance. I think Warburton feels quite defensive about that I think he feels that he's doing as well as anybody could and that's a standoff because it's not a it's not a situation where you can compromise it's not it's it's one or the other um the board feel he's underperforming he feels he isn't so there's not really a lot of room for come and go there and I, I do wonder if we are getting to the stage where because as I say we could have picked up players in, in January and didn't and I do wonder if part of that is we have well if you believe again the, the rumours there is money to spend and I've heard the same it's not a fortune but there is money I do wonder if they trust them to spend it I guess you know it's, it's, it's probably another pod for another day around thoughts on the board's performance so far since you know, it's, it's, it's the thick end now of two years since he rode into the rescue. And frankly, thank God that they did. Um, the performance since, I am I'm well aware of the amount of stuff that's going on in the background and the amount of money that's ha- having to be spent because we were just a shambles, uh, you know, crumbling shambles off the park. Um, however, I guess... When you've got just sound bites and the lack of a story and the lack of a narrative, that's going to lead people to talk about money and wondering about money. And the whole, you know, whether it's misrepresented or not, the whole 30 million war chest and spending the kids' inheritance and all that kind of crap, you know, that's for another day. This is about Hearts and Ross County against Rangers. 
And if I'm the board, you've got to look at it fairly objectively. Would I trust Mark Warburton with a chunk of cash, given he won't change his system by and large, and the signings that he made last summer, which plainly and obviously didn't fit that system? Mm. I mean, I guess two games aside, and I, you know, really, really Dundee and Celtic in the cup last season, where we were. I think, superb in both games uh, because we were up and at them in their faces from the first minute. We've had largely a year, probably since Hibs at Ibrooks in late December 2015. We've had pretty much a year of utter dog shit performances. We've had a year of going backwards. We've had a year of not learning lessons despite just about every poor result Results in the manager telling us we learn the lessons and we move on. Well, I think you know, it's, I think it's, it's, that's it's a take it in the chin yeah, stuff. Yeah, I was getting exactly that. I think you know, we learn a, a lesson. I, I, uh, I do think, or we learn from it has become we'll take it on the you know, we'll take it in the chin and move on. And I, I guess beyond that, we've had a year, it's actually since he started, it's 19 months of our team not being able to perform basic defensive functions mm-hmm. to the extent that, I don't know about you, David, I shit myself. Anytime anyone attacks us yeah. or gets a corner. Yeah, well, absolutely, because you've seen it so often. And I guess, you know, I'll go back to what I said earlier. And therefore, we've now had a year or 13 months, I feel, of this one inflexible approach at all costs that, frankly, I feel patronises everyone's intelligence. So, you know, I go back to Phil telling me that we should be loyal. And, I, you know, I find myself coming back to what are, being, what are we actually being loyal to? Regression and dog shit performances. It's not for me, and I don't think that should be for Rangers. Um, I think I probably know the answer to this already. Uh, but but even actually, no, I'll, I'll change the question. I was going to ask, should he be here next season? I'm going to ask you a different one. Will he be here next season? Over and above uh, what you personally would have, what's your gut feeling? Do we kick off next season with Matt Warburton as our manager? I don't think so because I get this. I I have a suspicion that either the either he'll jump or he'll be pushed because if he, he looks to me, he, he's got that kind of haunted Tony Mowbray, Paul Le Guin, dead man walking look about. Him. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that. Uh... Sometimes things are gone just a bit too far. Ian, thank you very much for, for doing this for us today. Uh, if the punters want to join that guy last night in abusing you, where on the Twitter sphere should they go? You can come and see me at, at Vanderhog. Cheers, my friend. No worries, bud. Joining me now is uh, our East Coast correspondent, Mr Cameron James Bell. How are you doing, my friend? David, I'm excellent, mate. How are you? I'm okay, buddy. I'm okay. Uh, the only cloud in the horizon, but unfortunately it's quite a big one, uh, is the form of our football team. Now, we've spoken in the past, um, but I'm sure our listeners will recall you and I both have expressed many a concern, but it does kind of seem a wee bit like the chickens are coming home to roost uh, after a very, very bad week. Well, at the stage now, I think, in the relationship where... You're avoiding your birds' calls. You're taking ages to text her back. You know it's over. 
you're trying to plant the seed in her head that it's over for that <laughs> soft landing. But now we're at that stage where, you're, you know, that way how you're kind of like, I could go and see her, but I'd rather fucking sit and watch Coronation Street or something. Aye. And it's it's dragging now towards the inevitable truth. We're at the She's Upstairs and you'd rather sit downstairs and have a wank over a, the 10-minute free view on Babe Station stage of the relationship. Yeah, you, you, listen, you, you head up to bed, I'll be up in five minutes. Ah. Ten hours later, you're still contemplating what else you can do. <laughs> I'm sure I've got a jigsaw sitting somewhere. <laughs> that 3,000-piece jigsaw my mum gave me when I was seven, I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's there somewhere. Uh, I would agree, I think there's a creeping sense of inevitability, and I think you and I spoke about this a wee while ago, that there comes a point where individual results no longer matter because there's a tipping point of belief, and you can go on a good, decent run like we did in terms of results, I don't think in terms of performances, but then it only takes one setback for everybody to immediately go right back to the to the point of, you know, he's useless, get rid. And once you've reached that point, I don't think that there's any way to, to kind of pull yourself out of it in the modern game. And I know people will always refer to Sir Alex Ferguson. Well, two things about that. One, he was a one-off. And two, the fact is that we're now talking 27 years later and that's still the one example people quote. Yeah, so I, I think that's where we're we're at now. I think I think the issue that you've got now is that we, I sometimes liken the range of support when you talk about managerial changes that it, it it's um it's it's segmented, so it's quite fractional. So you start to see people who kind of jump on the train quite early, and then as soon as you're on the train, you don't come off. Yeah. So what then happens is more and more people will come on, and whatever reason it is, and I think. Now what you're starting to find is not not necessarily one thing. So, you know, our form is not good. There's absolutely no doubt about that. Um, but now you start to see people who are coming at it from different angles. So, for me, potentially, the biggest issue is the uh, inability to defend cross balls and corners, which is not a new problem. No. But also people now coming in saying, would you, would you, if, Theoretically, Dave King was to, to have money sitting in his locker and he was then to say to him in the next transfer window, would you trust Mark Warburton with it? I think a lot of people now are starting to say no. And um, and I think that that's, that's now all starting to, to compile onto a much larger focus on whether or not he's the right man to be able to try and take us forward. What, what I will say, and I think that a lot of people across various websites and forums and social media and what have you is, Mark Warburton's a great man to manage Rangers. He's not a great manager to manage Rangers. Yeah. And I think that he's not helped either with the fact that Celtic have been outstanding this season. And, and I mean, I hate saying it, obviously, every single Rangers fan hates hearing it. But consistency is their key. And it's the one thing that we are not. And they are able to show that if you are consistent and you can churn out results, that you, you will win the league at an absolute cancer. Celtic could have a, a, an injury crisis from here on in and still win the league. It wouldn't be a problem. However, we are so inconsistent that now what we're doing is we're peaking in trough and, and, and effectively we're now probably in a, in a second place dogfight with Aberdeen for the rest of the season. And Hearts, I mean, I think that it's... And, it's, and, it's, and Hearts to a lesser extent, but to yeah. be honest with you, looking at Aberdeen's fixtures, I think that they are probably our, our bigger challengers in the short term because their fixture list is pretty healthy hmm. in, the, in the upcoming weeks. Um, ours is not, no. and I think that from that perspective, I, I, I still fear Aberdeen more than I fear Hearts, if I'm careful honest. Yeah, I do too. Although what I will say is, and you mentioned there the recruitment 
And I think it's a very fair point in terms of do we trust uh, a manager to spend it? Because every transfer is a risk, I get that. But I remember years ago on the pod, it is, it's years ago, it might be first season, maybe the second, we used to laugh at Roy Keane when he was at Sunderland because everyone he signed, he'd played with. Yeah. I mean, it was everyone he'd signed was had some sort of Man United or Celtic connection. And we used to joke, or oh, what'll happen when he runs out of when he runs out of players like that? You know, what does he do in ten years' time? And it it kinda strikes a chord with me now when I look at our recruitment process. And if you look at all the connections of previous clubs, and and people laugh and joke about, oh, we won't sign him because he didn't play for Watford or or Brentford. But when you see Hearts bringing in players from abroad. I refuse to believe, I accept that Rangers were running to the ground and scouting, etc. Uh, I refuse to believe that we, this long into Warburton's tenure, have absolutely no idea of players from out with the UK. I just, I, I don't buy that at all. I think there's a big feeling from this season and, and last season of um, players that are being touted around the English scouting network who are already at English clubs and then therefore they're already within eyesight. And I think that's the biggest problem is we are going a little bit on a little bit on hearsay and uh, for loan signings especially, I think that what we've done is we've then said, well, we'll take them off your hands and then we'll take it for there. I think <clears throat> the biggest problem with that is it almost looks like it's lazy. Um, it looks like we don't have a, a broad spectrum Um now, I think that there might be a difference. And Rangers tomorrow could come out and say, well, listen, do you know what, we've heard this. And as far as we're concerned, we have looked, but we don't see that talent. Plus, the manager's directive is to focus on players who can play in the British game. Now, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, right? And I can understand as to, you know, theoretically that could be possible. But for me, we're also then saying that no foreigner could come in here. And even if you, even if you implement them with, Three three national players or three three British based players, not necessarily British nationals, but three British based players, plus a plus a, a mainland European coming in, then you can give him a bit of a chance to bed in, and you can give him that comfort level. Right now, we're not even considering doing that, and I, I suppose, and this is the point that you're kind of aiming towards as well. It feels a lot like we're limiting our options. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense, yeah, no, absolutely, and, um, and I think the big thing for that is it just. I think for me, questions the whole thing. And then I suppose, as as, as I think you and I have kind of talked about as well, there is also the domino effect of if we're to get a Warburton, does that then mean a complete change in the entire staff? As it does many a time when a manager leaves, does it then mean that a recruitment set-up has to then become impacted as a result of that as well? Does McParlton go and all that kind of stuff as well? That's some more food for thought, I think. My personal feeling is that McParlton would go, um, not necessarily though that you have to change the whole structure of the club. And this is why I've gone back to director of football. And people in the UK, but I think especially in Scotland, have this warped idea of what a director of football does. They they see it as someone whose job it is to, if you like, almost oversee the manager. And they always say, oh, it doesn't work. Whereas it does work. Because what happens is, is the director of football runs, if you like, the non-first team operations. And your coach runs the first team operations. And the reason that it works and the reason they do it in Europe is because then if you do have to sack a coach, which you do quite frequently, 
uh, that you don't have to continually start again. And in Europe, they don't get why we why we don't do this because we used to one of one of the main cultural things I think Cami is in Italy, for example. You know, we would joke because they constantly change managers. You know, yeah. Palermo four coaches in a year, and we would laugh and say, "Oh, those crazy Italians." The reason they can do things like that is because it doesn't actually affect the rest of the club, because the technical director, um, we would call it director of football, they would call it a technical director or a sporting director, they're the guys who are overseeing, so it has no impact at all on the youth development, on the scouting, etc, etc. And I think we need to move away from this idea or image we have as manager is almost father of the club. Yeah, he's a patriarch. Yeah, yeah, and everything he says goes, and he's got his finger in absolutely every every pie. I don't believe that that model is sustainable in the twenty first century anymore, and especially not at a club ranger size. And I think I'm not sure we're at that position at the moment. So you know that this whole discussion could be academic with regards to that, but I think it's something that we need to move towards because. I'm really proud that we have had so few managers in our history. I mean, I love the fact that we've had so few managers in our history and, you know, you can go in and see them all up on the wall and it's it's fantastic. But realistically, managers now are going to come and go and it, it's just going to happen. The other thing I would say is people have said that our problem is that we have unrealistic expectations and no one could meet them. And I say, let's accept that, right? Right? Well, accept that premise that, our, you know, nobody could match our expectations. But if we accept that, that we are probably doomed to failure, we should then say, well, OK, is he the guy that's going to fail least, if you like? Is he the guy who's going to get... Can we be closer to our goal? We may not still achieve our goal, but can we be closer so do I think we can be winning the league this year? No, obviously not. Do I think we should be 27 points behind Celtic? No. And that's why there is a bit of, if you like, a grey area between the I want Warburton sacked, he's a failure, and the, well, what could he do? There was no chance of it happening, guys. There, there is a grey area of are we the best version of ourselves we can be? And at the moment, I don't believe that that's the case. So I completely agree with that in terms of um, there is a degree of an accountability. So what you're what you're effectively talking about at the moment is is being able to try and take a little bit of a self assessment and saying where are we now? How is it progressing, etc. And there's nothing wrong with that because it's a sense check. And sometimes when you're on a, a really big wave of success, the little things can get missed, and then the little things become far bigger once the gravy train stops. Mm-hmm. Now the the problem that you've got with what you're just saying there is that um, I don't. I don't think that we have the support that would immediately welcome a manager who would come in and say, right now, Celtic are going to win six in a row. My job here is to stop them getting nine in a row. And it's going to take me three years to do that. Yeah. And I don't think that the Rangers fan base would find that immediately acceptable. I think I think the long term vision is right because I totally I totally agree in terms of you know Celtic fundamentally Celtic cannot win ten in a row that is an absolute given they cannot do that however the the we don't have the patience to be able to try and do this and this is where to be fair though Cammy th- to be fair I should point out that for Celtic to win um, ten in a row 
they still would need to win another eight after this season because everyone knows the ones when we were in the lower division don't count. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, of course, I get under I'll give that, them that, that last. That, that, I'll, <laughs> I'll be generous and give them the admin season, right? I'll give them that <laughs> but, because we did at least start out. So, But then the other four don't count. So I, I'm maybe not as concerned about that as, as everyone else because it doesn't count. One, we, we all know it. One thing no one could ever call David Edgar is his petty. Yeah, anyway, no, I gave um, them that, Cameron. See, I'm a bigger <laughs> man than, than my critics would allow. Um. But the thing is, this is that I think that's actually what we need is to be able to try and come in and do it. And we, we're not going to. This is probably where we're, we're the biggest victim of promotion now, is because now we're in the top flight. People demand a one or a top two finish, and this is where it's not gonna it's not gonna happen overnight unless you completely strip back that team. And, let, and let's put it another way now. I could understand arguments where, from a formation perspective, there are some huge questions. All right. And from a strategy perspective, he's he's done, and he's actually shown a bit of this. He's actually shown some degree of of of, of tinkering and of changing. He's not stuck rigidly with it and see what's happened. But even when he's done that, we still haven't improved results. And there's a stat that's going around the the, the the kind of internet at the moment around the fact that we've only scored like more than two goals in a league game once so yeah, far this season, right. and all that nonsense. Right? And and do you know what? In all honesty, this is what I'm talking about with the small problems. And when you then turn around and saying, yeah, it's great to get a 1-0 win from a, you know, from a last-minute winner and stuff as well and get the three points in the bag and blah, blah, blah. I mean, the actual systemic problem here is much, much, uh, you know, far-ranging than that in terms of that's been a problem since our full-backs were some of the main people contributing towards our goal tally. Yeah. And this is where I think that you're then talking about a wholesale change that has to be able to try and come in here. The problem I've got with the way how we defend at the moment is I- I'm certain some... You know, fucking one of the usual Rangers obsessed Celtic fans could go back over the last eighteen to twenty-four months and show all of the goals we've conceded from crosses are virtually identical. Yeah, that's correct. That's a good point. And 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 the problem that we've got with that is that that hasn't been addressed. It hasn't been addressed for two years, David. No, I know. I and totally and, and, and I, t- I totally accept the fact that what you're then talking about is is and again to kind of use your analogy about mainland continental football. We're using fullbacks to be able to try and go forward. Okay, that's not new, right? We've seen that for years and years and years now. Get all that, you know, that plan behind it. But when you're conceding goals and you're unable to have the character in your team to come back from that without a ten or a twenty minute hiatus, and as soon as that goal is is conceded, then you do not have the ability to do it. And you know, you can want to have it, and that's fantastic. But if you do not have it, then that's it because you're not going to get the results. So you need to be able to try and focus on that. So any manager that's going to come in for me, I mean, I don't know even know if we can get in a list of name and names. I don't even know who's viable. Is a viable option at the moment would be. I don't know where we are in terms of that. Some managers yeah. might have their own demands, and that's all perfectly acceptable. You don't want someone coming in being a nobody. However, that is one of the most simple things that we could then start to see a change coming through. But do you know what? We might see more nil-nils than losses. But I, I, I would really seriously question as to whether or not how much time that manager would have to come in to actually say a nil-nil draw and clean sheets on a far more consistent basis is progressive against actually turning losses into draws because Rangers fans won't win. Uh, yeah, but what I would say is, and you're right, but if, if we were struggling with a series of nil-nils at the moment, it would be because we don't score enough goals, right? Whereas at the moment... We don't score enough goals anyway, but our defence is shite. 
So at least if we were doing the nil-nils, one area of the team was functioning properly. That's probably my biggest concern, is that no area of that side functions properly. And yeah, but the, the, the problem is, yeah, but the, the thing is, what you're talking about there is actually two very, very different problems in terms of scoring goals and defending them. And where I'm saying oh, there's actually a third problem in there is that when we do concede goals, and you saw this, you saw this like I did during the nine-in-a-row era, where there was times when we, we thought that we would have teams come to Ibrox and we thought it was a cakewalk. And what we'd end up doing is we'd piss about with the ball and blah, blah, and then they'd get a break and they'd either score a goal or come very close to it and eventually that would kick us up the arse, we'd move up a gear and we'd win the game. Yeah. This team at the moment just now, when that happens, and usually it's a, 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 a goal being scored, um, they don't have the character, they don't have the belief in themselves to actually then say, actually, who, who the mother will think they are mm-hmm. in terms of being able to try and come do this? And I'm still not convinced that, barring a couple of mistakes, that, you know, we, we would have beaten Motherwell. Do you know what I mean? That, that's, that's my opinion anyway. But then at the same point, how many times have we scraped out a 2-1 win after going into a one-all after leading and then conceding and then having to be able to try and get there because there's a window in it. And the difference that you saw at Hearts was Hearts actually scored during that window when we were trying to regroup and pick ourselves up and, you know, gather ourselves, Hearts were still scoring. And then that's when the game's out of sight by that point. This team doesn't have that level of character and it's not been instilled in them. I don't think they've got the ability to do it either. But I think that's that, where... yeah, I was going to say, for me, it's also ability. Um, but, yeah. but no side at any level can continually concede the first goal the way we do and expect to... Um, I'm not a great one for stats because, as, you know, if you look at stats this week, our possession was fantastic. We had 41 shots or attempts yesterday, you know. But I think that that one stat that is important uh, is that the amount of time Rangers lose the first goal because it's such a mountain to climb, uh, especially with all the psychological and intangible aspects of a game. You're playing a team that really want to beat you. You get their fans right up for it. You have this problem of scoring a lot of goals, so the team know they've got a really good chance of getting at least a point, and if they get a second, they've got a fantastic chance of getting at least a point and probably three. So, yeah, there's a lot to it. Moving on though, and and finishing up with this, we, the way you're talking, and the way you started your point, and everything that we've spoken about is almost indicating that you think that the Warburton era, whether it finishes this season or in the summer, it will finish soon. And because we're chatting about a future and it's almost as if in your mind there's, that's a given. Would that would that be where you are? Yeah, I, I don't... And as I said to you, kind of at the top of that point, I, I think he's a, I think as a man, he is tremendous and... and um, I remember waiting with bated breath when he used to be able to try and hear his press conferences because of the way he spoke about Rangers and the way he spoke about what he wanted to do. And he's and there's no doubt he's an exceptional, intelligent guy. The problem that I've got is that I don't think from a coaching ability, and I won't, you know what, I won't undercut him by saying it's his lack of time in football from, you know, his previous his previous life in the city and stuff. I don't. That's total shit, right? Yeah, agree. But the problem, you, you, the problem you've got though, is that he's not able. To, to, to instill a belief or an ability in these players and coach them in that way. And if that was him bringing in a signing and that signing not hitting the ground, 
then I would turn around and say, okay, then there's, there's, you know, there's room for conjecture there. The problem, however, is now that as we kind of discussed, we're not converting enough uh, opportunities into goals. We're not defending enough. We are um, conceding too many of the same type of goal, which suggests to me that he's either not seen it and not working on it, or he's seen it and working on it, and it's still not implementing the change that he needs to be able to try and see. So I, I think. There's a part of me that wants to almost be slightly cutthroat and think if he's got another couple of games in him where results don't go his way, maybe the best thing to do is now is to cut ties and bring in someone else and give them a gimme until the rest of the season and then mount up what we would hope to believe is a serious title challenge come the, come the start of 2017-2018. However, um, I think that what we need to do is, is treat Mark Warburton with respect I think, if I'm being perfectly honest, he is, again, smart enough to realise if it's not working, then he needs to accept it and take a dose of his medicine and then potentially walk. Um, I would like, us, if that happens, to see him leave on good terms. I, would, I wouldn't like to see him walk away from the club with a negative a negative image. But I think now it's... Um, I think we have to look at other options. And what they are, I don't know. I'm not even going to suggest the names. Um, I think Dave King has to seriously consider what his options are now in terms of how much he could potentially give someone. Um, but, no, I think it, I think the future is now moving past what Mark Warburton. Do you do what maybe Celtic have done and your star signing as the manager? And in terms of that you maybe go, well, we're not going to break the wage structure for players, but we might do for a coach? <laughs> See, that's difficult because... A very simplistic view could say, well, Celtic have done that and then therefore it's got it's brought in success. It hasn't. Celtic have brought in a good manager, but they're also paying players a lot of money. Yeah. And so there's not just, you know, a big manager, there's also some big signings in there who are actually proven football. But they're proven football because of the fact that as I say, they're paying them likelihood ten, twelve times what we could pay them. So there's there's a difference there. There's a very big difference in terms of thinking of this. I I do think personally speaking it could hurt us to bring in someone who is deeply ingrained within the football setup. However, going the acceptance that that person may potentially come to us to be able to try and look at recovering their reputation. One of the names that's been touted about potentially is Frank De Boer. Now, Frank De Boer, we would only be able to sell Rangers to Frank De Boer to come to us to potentially move to England. Mm-hmm. There's nothing necessarily wrong with that, but we would have to also understand and what his expectations are in terms of wages and what have you. I know that he's worked quite closely with Ronald. From a, a youth set-up as well, Ronald was, was really heavily involved in the Ajax B teams, etc. Whether or not we could get the two of them and whether or not that could produce results, I don't know. What I do know, however, is that we've got the facilities and the assets to be able to try and make that happen. So I'm not willing to accept for a single minute that we don't. Um, but we need to be able to try and bring in someone that could utilise that most. Now, as I say, the Boer might be a, a, a pipe dream. I don't know where we are at in terms of what Dave King can afford to spend. Um, but again, like you say, you're then talking about someone being able to try and come in and, and, and produce results. Likely it's not, they might do what David Moyes has done, potentially take a lesser job in England to be able to try and, and regain their um, regain their reputation, if you will. Um, yeah. So as far as I'm concerned, you know, we could be an attractive option for the board for that point. Um, but again, other, other than that, we're back probably looking at Scottish candidates that we've discussed already. So guys like fucking Derek McInnes, Tommy Johnson for some reason was getting touted about, which was a ridiculous suggestion. Tommy Wright, of St Johnson. Sorry, Tommy Wright, Tommy Johnson. Sorry, yes, Tommy Wright, but then, again, equally ridiculous. But 
Um, I, I don't know who his candidates are. I don't know if you've heard of any names that might be in the in the background. But I've you know I've heard a few names mentioned, but I'm not going to kind of spout rumours because then people go and say, "Oh, Edgar said," and, and you know what what I would say is is that there is <laughs> much like the support. There are two separate sort of ideas um, from what I hear running at board level, which is your traditional Scottish coach Rangers man knows what it's all about. And don't be put off by the fact that we went for something different and it maybe isn't quite working out to the degree that we that we want. And it'll come down to whatever side wins that battle, really. Um I agree with you, incidentally, I think you made a cracking point there. The type of manager we can get is either, like players, either an up-and-comer or someone who needs to rebuild their reputation after a damaging spell somewhere. We wouldn't have had a hope in hell of getting Frank DeBoer 18 months ago, but maybe post-Inter, you know, we, we have a chance of, of doing that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not too sure of where we are at the moment. So, that's it. Cameron... Where can people... Two things, two things, Cameron. Firstly, where can people get in touch with you if they want to tell you how well you've spoken today? Well, I would hope that they would they would initially drive towards the Heart and Hand podcast page because it's full of humour and wit. On the Facebook? On the Facebook uh, and on the Twitter, my handle is at BeatThatBeat. And secondly, just before you go, do you want to give any abuse to Scott? I would like to give abuse to Scott, but the problem is that with his scarred childhood, it's it's the thing is though that what I would like to say. Look, to him he was a boy I, scout, I, and just because you and I were BBs and just assume that sort of thing goes on, it doesn't. I'm not sure it always happens. All right, superb. Listen, Cammy, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks, Davey. So, thanks very much to the two guys for coming in and uh, sharing sharing their opinions with us. Minds for what it's worth. Uh, I think it was Harold McMillan when he was asked what are the things that politicians fear most. He said events, dear boy, events. And I think that that might be the case for football managers who are struggling too. I actually think that the, the situation has passed the debate. Um, I think that it's not about whether or not you or I or, or the Podders or anyone else thinks Mark Warburton should stay or he should go. I, I think that we are now into a spiral um, where the decision has, if it hasn't been taken, then the the finger is, is on the trigger, so to speak. Uh, and I think it might be mutual. I want Mark Warburton to succeed. Hoggy said it, um, Cammy said it as well, I think we all did, he's, he's a great man, he's a very, very intelligent, very likeable man and a fabulous ambassador for a football club and we so want him to succeed but uh, at the moment, through this self-imposed tactical straitjacket, through this reluctance to change, through this belief that we're going to be able to play our way through it, I don't see it happening and my, my real concern is that when a manager enters that defensive, when anybody does it, I've done it in a workplace, I'm sure you have as well, when someone criticises your work instead of saying, okay, you're right, let me look at it and you know see what I can do, see what I can do better. When you start going, well, well it's fine in any way, you know, nobody else in here pulls their way and I couldn't do any better. When you start doing that, you're not long for this world. And 
I do worry that that's that's the place that we are with with the gaffer now. He can turn this around. He can go on a fantastic winning run, and you know, get great wins against our rivals and against Celtic, and we can win the Scottish Cup. But even then, I do wonder. I do wonder if he'll be kind of looking down the road and thinking there's an easier life for more money down there. I don't know. I I can't see this turning round with no huge changes, and I don't necessarily mean by the manager incident or or of the manager or of the coaching staff. I mean he would need to massively change and adapt, and he's shown absolutely no signs of doing it. Long time listeners will know when people say, "Well." You know, all of a sudden we get some bad results. This isn't the case. I, I am the optimist in the pod, and Scott, our regular, my regular cohort, co-host, um, he's he's the one who maybe can attend to, to look on the dark side a bit quicker. This is not new. Scott's been saying this from January 2016, and I, possibly through optimism and possibly through my mantra of I want people to be given enough time to fail, would say, well, you know, I okay, but this has happened and that's happened and thin squad and all the rest of it. And there were enough ups to keep me to to keep me thinking, well, I'm right. The summer recruitment was disastrous, but that could happen. But the fact that we've now let another transfer window go with no significant changes, it does make me wonder. You hear certain things from the club. I don't know. That that's my honest my my honest appraisal of the situation is that things have just gone too far on both sides and that I just don't see this relationship continuing um, and I would love to be wrong and I would love nothing more than for someone to be ramming these words down my throat as we're celebrating Scottish Cup success and you know a fantastic run, a fantastic set of performances but, but it's not new the changes we've been asking for these are not new requests. I don't know. Um, as for something that, that Hoggy touched on uh, about we need to be more loyal, don't you dare lecture the Rangers support, even if you're a member of it, on loyalty. Don't you dare. Um, where we've been, where they made us go, the shit we've had to plough through, don't you dare say Rangers fans aren't loyal. And yes, we may be demanding, and I think at times we're overly demanding, but that's the reality of the job. There are certain things that come along with it, that come along with being able to go to Ibrox and get 50,000 every two weeks and go up the marble staircase and go into the blue room and the magnificent trophy room and get that training complex and, and know that you're the manager of a world-famous football name that people recognise. Um, and part of that is criticism and part of that is high demand. So if you can't handle that, don't blame people for disloyalty because uh, nobody, no club in the world would have done what we'd done as a support and would have stood by our club the way we have so managers come and go we're for life and I think people should remember that Okay then, if you want to get in touch to tell me I'm talking bollocks and uh, you wouldn't be the first, you can go to Heart and Hand, the, the Rangers podcast on Facebook, just search for it 
You can go to Twitter where I'm at Ibrox Rocks, Scott's at Scott Hart Hand, and uh, the two boys that were on uh, at Vanderhog and at Beat That Beat. If you want to get in touch with any of us, I'd just like to thank our executive producers in London, Mr. Mike Lee and Mr. Paul Myers. And I would just like to say to all of you, this is not the deepest stuff we've been in. And uh, trust me, we're going to climb out of it and hit the highest, uh, the highest mountaintop at some point. Might take a wee bit longer, but we'll get there. Do you know why? Because we're the people. Take care, everybody. I'll talk to you again this time next week. Cheers. Bye. Network.